This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, I have a question. What do these companies all have in common, Ready? IBM, FedEx, and Warby Parker. They were all started during recessions. I mean, think about that, you guys, during what seems to be the worst possible time to you know, max out your credit cards and ask to borrow money from friends and family when you know they probably will say no. The founders of all those companies took that leap of faith. Okay, fine. So they did. But, but let me take this a, a step further. Would you quit your good-paying, prestigious job during a financial crisis to start a company? Now the pool of people who've had the courage to do that becomes much smaller. We've got one of the brave few who were crazy enough to pull that off, and today is a billionaire because of it. Let's hear how he did it. We welcome Okta co-founder and CEO Todd McKinnon to Everyone Talks to Liz. You cray, Todd. <laughs> that's what that's what my kids would say. He cray. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for comparing me to IBM and FedEx. That was cool. <laughs> One day, listen, aim high, right? You're, that's right. You're you're really getting there when I think about it. Um, I, I do want to begin with a loaded question. Were you also crazy as a child? I mean, where did your guts and your flying leap attitude come from? I've always been, I think I've always been pretty uh, like a logical thinker. Um, I can't say this though. I was talking to my dad about this recently. Um, and I was telling him a story about my son. My son is 10 and my son was just incredibly stubborn and was going to die on this hill for some silly thing he was doing. He wouldn't listen to me. And I got happy through the story. My dad started laughing and he goes, you know where you get that from, right? <laughs> Todd, you were the most stubborn kid I've ever seen in my life. Once you got your mind made up, it would not change. I said, uh, turn about, turn about is fair play. So I'm, I'm on the other end of that now. Well, maybe that is a characteristic of people who take flying leaps. And that is stubbornly, don't want to say optimistic. Am I putting words in your mouth? But stubbornly of the belief that somehow you're going to make it work. Yeah, I think you, you, you have to be... You, you, you have to be hard to knock off your game, you know, um, when you start a company from scratch, there's lots of things that go right and go wrong. But one thing is sure true is it's not going to go how you thought. So I think if there was one common characteristic about entrepreneurs, it was they don't get knocked off their game very easily. They're pretty kind of set a course and go for it. And it's not always the right thing to do, by the way. I mean, there's plenty of entrepreneurs that have been stubbornly headed in one direction and went off the cliff. Yeah, it it is. It is a gamble. But for our listeners who don't know, Okta is a company that provides remote secure login software. And we use it at Fox. Uh, It allows us wherever we are. I kind of don't want to say work from home anymore. I want to say work from anywhere. This way you can log on and access all of the suite of applications you use for work, whether it's email or Workday, who knows what. There are a million of them. 
This way you log in once and you have access to all of them thanks to Okta. But let's talk a little bit about what I said at the beginning, and that is that you quit a high-paying job. You were a senior executive at Salesforce out on the West Coast. Tell me what you were doing then. Yeah, I was the SVP of engineering at Salesforce. And at the time, this was 2008, 2009, Salesforce was the preeminent cloud company. It was, you know, Amazon Web Services was still pretty small and nascent. Um, There were some other smaller cloud companies, but Salesforce was the cloud company. We'd really proven it could be successful. It was this new way of doing things. And I was running engineering there. So I was running the technical team at the kind of the most um, technically advanced cloud company in the world. And then that's on the professional side. On the personal side, my wife and I had just had our first child. So our daughter was six months old, six months old. And um, I remember when I, when I finally decided that I wanted to leave Salesforce and start Okta, I came home to my wife and, and she had been watching the news all day hearing about the financial crisis. So she'd been with this new baby you know, figuring out how to be a, be a mom and be parent, be a parent and then watching the news all day the world is ending and the Lehman Brothers was going out of business and this was going to be the worst recession ever. And I came home and I said, honey, I'm going to quit my job at Salesforce. It's a great job with healthcare and all these benefits <laughs> and start a new company. And uh, I remember she looked at me and she said, what are you, bleeping crazy? <laughs> and... Um, and I, you know, so like I did, I'm pretty rational. So I, I made her a, a, a presentation, a full presentation about why it was a good thing to do and why it was going to work out great. And the title of that presentation I presented it to her was called uh, My Plan to Quit My Job and Start a New Company, Why I'm Not Crazy. <laughs> it's not exactly a, a catchy sort of Microsoft PowerPoint title. <laughs> I'm logical, Liz. I'm logical. Did she buy it? She bought it, obviously. It's if you look back, I mean we still have it and we, we look at it every once in a while. It's it's interesting to look at that presentation. It part of it is really um part of it is prescient, right? It's like, you know, I said things in there like, you know, the a lot of good companies have been started during a recession. It's not necessarily a bad time to start a company, some of the things you talked about in your lead-in. Yeah. Um, and then I also talked about how that all companies, all new companies thrive because of change and they thrive because of there's a new environment. And for me, it was this evolution of cloud computing. And there, I was pretty clear at the time that there was going to be a version of everything in the IT stack that was a version that ran on the cloud. And I knew that would be a big change and a big opportunity. So that was all smart. Then the other probably nine pages of this PowerPoint were all about basically covering my rear end, you know, about how when it inevitably didn't work, I'd get another job and our family would be okay. So, you know, you, I can say I was confident, not confident now, but if you look at the PowerPoint, nine out of the 11 pages were basically saying what I was going to do when it didn't work. Did you have savings? We did. We were, one of the things about Salesforce is I've made a little bit of money there, mm-hmm. um, which made it uh, a, a lot of part of the PowerPoint too, was actually about talking about the money and how we could last a year with no salary. And we had money saved up, which is, um, obviously, I was super. Uh, I was super lucky to have that luxury. It was a key thing in making well, it. It's not luck. It's it's smarts. A lot of people take big winnings and they buy a Lambo. I mean, we, we've seen the world littered with NFL players who bought Maseratis and then they got injured or who yeah, knows more what. And more, yeah, more yeah, but you've you've really 
plan for something like this, it sounds like. Um, I want to know about the early years because that to me is the most interesting. We've had on the show John Foley, the CEO and founder of Peloton, which to me was hilarious because amazing. Um, He talks about the early days where they hoist their first prototype of the bike onto cinder blocks and they had a little camera on it. I like those stories. I remember the early days at Fox Business. We were a startup and we were running around and everybody was all hands on deck and the sort of spit and ceiling wax that we put it all together with. But here we are 12 years later. So I'm really interested to know about the first early days. I remember we um, we were really, and this was a, a good um, characteristic we had, we were really obsessed with getting a paying customer very early. So we started the company, my co-founder and I started the company uh, working full-time together in the spring of 2009. And we talked to some venture capitalists and we said, hey, we're going to take this seed round we were able to raise and we're going we're gonna to get a, a single live paying customer in less than a year. And I remember um, we, we recruited the early team and we started building the product and um, we got something working and um, let's put it this way. The, the software that was uh, sold to the first paying customer was working would be probably a generous description of it. <laughs> You know, you talk about a Peloton and cinder blocks. This was the equivalent software. It was, uh, you know, probably connected to two applications and did only basic things. But, but we got that we got that first company to sign up. Um, and I think it was more just so that we would stop bugging them by calling them every day. They finally signed up and they paid us they paid us a, um, a, a check for four hundred and thirty five dollars. I remember we got that check in December of two thousand nine, about eight months after we started. You frame it. My parents were over for Christmas and I, I showed them that check for $435. And I remember my mom looking at it going, this is great, but it's not that much money. Are you sure you're going to be able to support your family? $435. I said, mom, there'll be a lot more. Trust me. We'll, 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 we'll build on this. But um, yeah, it's a lot of uncertainty and it's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of, um, we talked about earlier, you know, kind of not getting knocked off your game. It's a lot of blocking things out and really trying to, execute day by day, make a little progress every day, which is probably a good lesson for life in general. If you can make a little progress day by day, pretty soon the days add up and you have something special. Isn't that very true? Were there early points where you felt like giving up? I mean, mistakes where you thought, uh, we've got to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, we um, we definitely, for sure. Okta wasn't a company that um, you know really took off out of the gate. Like Some of these companies like Twitter or Facebook, even to some degree, they, once they launched their apps, they were hot and they were, you know, everyone was talking about them and they were off to the races. Okta was more of a slow burn in the early days. Um, it was, and I think that was because like all startups, you know, we were, we, you have to be early, right? If you're too late, you're not going to have a successful company. So we were early, we were selling security and identity management for the cloud and the cloud was around, but it wasn't at a level of pervasiveness that, having a security system in the cloud really made sense. So the first couple of years were tough and we, um, you know, we were missing our numbers pretty badly. You know, my, uh, the board definitely questioned if I was the right guy to be the CEO. My co-founder got kicked out of some board meetings. And, um, and I remember that we finally, we, you know, we were raising a round of funding and we um, trying to close our series B and we actually missed our quarterly sales targets pretty significantly. 
And um, it was right during when the round was supposed to close. And if we didn't close this round, it was going to be like pretty bad news because, you know, we have about 25 employees. That would have been a morale hit. You know, the money would have run out in a few months. And um, we, we, we missed our sales target. We called up the investor. It was a, a Coastal Ventures. It was the venture firm that was going to lead the round. Sure. David Wyden, who was the partner there, and he called him up and said, um, David, you know, we, we had a little problem on the quarter. And he said, well, how bad was it? And we said, well, you know, we missed the number, you know, by half. And he said, I'll, I'll be there in a half hour. And so he drove up and talked to us a lot. And to his credit, he stuck in the round. Um, and that was probably the low point. And then three months later, for whatever reason, it was the product got a little better and the, the customers got a little more cloud and the product, the solution we had made more sense. And in October of, of that same year, this is 2011, we, you know, our sales target for the quarter was about, you know, $300,000 and we did $400,000 and it felt like, you know, it felt like we'd won the World Series, the Super Bowl and the Olympic gold medal all at the same time. <laughs> but that's the progression. You hit certain targets and then you think, okay, this is actually working. And then you stumble again. There are oh, multiple yeah. <laughs> stumbles along this road, are there not? Yeah, we're going to need a longer podcast for all my stumbles list. <laughs> But this is good because now it's a multi-billion dollar company and this is what we try and do on Everyone Talks to Liz. And that is and the, simply... one, the one thing I'll say there, when you say that, it reminds me, the one thing um, I will say is that for people that are, you know, going through hard things in their life or companies that are young and starting out, um, you know, you hear these stories on people like me that have been lucky enough to make it through the other side. And it sounds like, um, it sounds like, you know, everything was rosy and it was kind of like a laughing matter when we're going through these things. But these things were scary. I mean, you know, <laughs> I thought that the company was going away and I thought we were going to make it. And I guess it's a um, it's just a shout out to everyone to say that stick, stick with it. You can make it. What were the mistakes that taught you the most? I think that you always have a sense that the people really matter. You know, it's about the talent and the team that you have around you. And I would say that going growing a startup and then, a, a, you know, growing mid-sized company that we are now, that, that message has been reinforced to me over and over, the importance of getting the people right and putting the right people in the right positions to do their, to do, to do, to do their thing. Um, I think naturally a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, we talked about how people can be stubborn and um, want to do things their way. Sometimes that leads them to think they can do everything, right? They can, mm -hmm. they can solve all the problems and um, prevents them from really bringing on the right people and to, empowering those people to, to do their best work and kind of letting the reins go and, and letting them thrive. The world is littered with founders who you referenced it about points where people questioned whether you were the guy to actually run a growing company. The world is just littered with people who got fired from their own company, removed. I mean, Travis Kalanick of Uber is a bigger example, but that's just one of an entire Mount Everest where the money guys come in and say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We're done with you people. And I, I often think of that show Silicon Valley on HBO, which somehow managed to really capture it well with I Pied Piper, right? So did that, Liz? And I had to stop watching it. It was too close to the world I was living in. I could not watch it. <laughs> I know. I can imagine. It was so well done, but scary because they really managed to crystallize what your world and every entrepreneur's world is out in Silicon Valley. But as you, 
you got a feel for bringing in the right people. That leads me to ask you how you became good at things that before you might not have been that expert at. You can't be all things to all people. You're obviously an engineering, let me say, genius. You've got multiple <laughs> degrees. You worked so nice. at Salesforce among among the very best. But as a CEO, you have to be psychologist, rabbi, handholder, and whipcracker. You've got to get people going. You've got to motivate them. But then you've got to look and say, you know what? This isn't the right fit. How did you get better in areas you felt you were weak? Well, I think for me, it, and I think this is a good lesson for others as well, you got you got to start from your strength, right? You got to start from your foundation. <laughs> and, for, and for me, and everyone has one. And, and for me, it was, you know, engineering and product. So like, make sure that you shore up that area and you make good decisions there and you build a rock solid team, of course, in that area. But then, then other areas, you really have to um, be explicit about listening to experts, listening to outside advisors, you know, a good example is on the sales side, right? I think you, you have to be decent at sales to, to start a company and to sell investors and so forth. But when we started to ramp up our, our actual professional sales team, I really needed to listen to my board and my co-founder and um, because that's an area where I don't have a natural, um, that's, that's not my natural ability to run that part of the business. And definitely my experience was lacking there. Um, that's, you know, so that's one example of trusting those outside experts. Um, but then also another thing too, and this goes, you know, broadly across different areas is, um, I think you have to be good at, at, at building trusted relationships with people because then you can, then you can get more honest feedback from them and, and it, it helps you adjust what you're doing. So it's, it's one thing you have to open yourself up and, and listen to people in areas you don't mm -hmm. know. But then you have to make sure that you get a relation, build a relationship with them so that they can give you feedback and you can, you can you have a better chance of responding and making changes and doing things correctly. If you have the kind of relationship that can get you honest feedback about the areas you don't know. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to take you to the day of your IPO, April 2017. What was your stomach like? Was it churning? Were you excited? I've talked to a lot of founders of companies about that moment that they went public and they heard the opening bell or the NASDAQ. Tell me what your emotions were that day. Um, I was very, um, I was very proud. I was proud of the team. I was proud of what we'd accomplished. Um, I was also very tired. You, you, you know, you go on the roadshow for 
um, 14 days or 10 days and you're flying all over and meeting, you know, hundreds of in-person meetings. And um, by the time the, the stock trades, the day you go public, it's kind of, it's kind of done, right? The, the shares have been um, allocated and the price has been set and it's just yes. about time for it to trade. The one thing I remember emotionally was, um, you know, you, you do the allocations and the pricing and all that stuff. And then the next day market opens and you do like some PR stuff. And then about two hours later, they actually have enough trading volume to actually open the stock. Exactly. And I'm waiting for this. And I remember um, you know, the, the market maker was sitting there telling us what was going on. And um, he's like, all right, it's going to probably be a minute. They'll start to trade. We'll know the price. Here it goes. And I remember thinking to myself, what if no one buys it? What if, what if it just goes to zero? <laughs> and I remember feeling this help, this, this helplessness that like my baby is out of the world and what if no one likes it or what? <laughs> Luckily it, it didn't do that. And we had some buyers and some sellers and it opened. And... Well, nowadays you don't have to ask that question. Obviously you were doing well before the coronavirus and the pandemic, but the pandemic added some rocket fuel to the adoption of utilizing Okta because we were all sent home. I remember mid-March, we got the word that somebody from my show team had tested positive and we were all sent to quarantine. That was it. I haven't been back since. Thankfully, everybody was okay, but it was those early days of fear and everybody was frantic and panicking and how do I get on the air and what am I gonna do and how do we set up a live camera and How do we log on securely? And Fox had become a client of Okta. And therefore, that became this gateway for all of us so that we didn't miss a beat. We actually just seamlessly transitioned. There were a lot of other factors, certainly, but it has made life slightly easier during a very difficult time. What are some of the anecdotes that you've heard from companies about how they used Okta? There's, um, we're very lucky in that the, um, you know, I get investors that ask me recently, so what is the product strategy or what is the changes that you made in the, in the company strategy because of COVID-19 to react to it? And I get to tell them that we're very lucky in that it's very, very in line with the, what the world needs now, which is what you just outlined. It's flexibility. It's, you can work from anywhere. You can use any technology to be productive. You can use technology to connect to your employees, to connect to your uh, customers. So we're very, very lucky. So the, it's basically been like what we've been selling and doing and building for 11 years is even in more demand now. So, so we're, we're lucky. So for the benefit for customers, it's been interesting. So I'll break it down broadly into three buckets. One bucket is companies like Fox that, that were already customers and were, had a leg up and being flexible and moving. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of customers like that. There's another group of customers that that rolled out Okta and other technologies in response. So like FedEx is a good example of that. They rolled out 85,000 employees on Okta in 36 hours to to accelerate their global move to this remote working during the pandemic. And then the last type of of company is, is what we're mostly seeing now and going forward, which is largely the remote work has been, you know, the basics of it, the connectivity have been figured out. But what we're seeing now is people are using Okta to connect more effectively with their with their customers, right? To build a better website, because what's happened is employees are now working remotely. But if you're a couple, if you're a hardware store, you have to have a great website because you're doing curbside pickup or you're doing 
the people in your physical building are, are you know, measured distance. So you have a better website. So that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing companies that are getting online, getting mobile apps upgraded, connecting more directly with their customers. And that's powering a big part of our business, which is customer identity. Do you get the sense that competitors are swirling when you're at the top? Boy, people want to knock you off that pedestal. Yeah, How do you handle another, yeah, yeah, it's a great, great point. Another um, talk about adversity. If you go back several years now, but um, but Opta, we went from you know a couple of years of people telling us that there was not a big enough market for this, there was you know not enough clouds, people won't do security in the cloud. And then fast forward to around 2014, when um, the biggest software company in the world, Microsoft, released a competitive product, right? So we went from, there's no market for this, you're never going to make it, you probably should go get a different job, to now this market is so important, the biggest software company in the world, which doesn't mess around in small markets, has to, has to have a product to go up to this market. So that was a little bit of a, the company was definitely a little bit, you know, shaken or, or a little bit scared at that. But for me, I remember it was it was just this um, this feeling that it's got to be a good thing because this is this is so validating. This is like because I've been through you know here in two years of this isn't anything important to have it validated like that was was important. It actually, in the next several years of results, even to this day, it, it really has borne out that the fact that there's big companies that want to do what we're doing really validates it. Companies like FedEx or companies like Fox, when they buy technology, they want to see, you know, big vendors validated in the space. And that's definitely been true for us. Well, <laughs> and you're racking them and stacking them when it comes to the customers. I know T-Mobile and Equifax, a bunch of other companies have hopped on the Okta train, uh, but it's not really a train. It's a cloud. Okta. <laughs> you've got to tell our listeners the story about the name. The name Okta is a, is a, it's a scale for cloud cover. So if you're a pilot, you know that if you're flying and it's eight Okta, that's full cloud cover in the airport. And if it's four Okta, it's half cover. So it's a, it's a clever little name that we, we thought would be cool when we started. And now it's kind of cool because people just think about it as the identity company. They don't even know it means a scale for cloud cover. It's a cool name. We just type in my Okta. It's very easy, <laughs> very easy to remember. Um, as we wrap up, I'm just interested always to ask people what books they've read that perhaps have changed their perspective and who do they respect when it comes to company leaders? Um, oh, on the books, it's a ton of different books. I would say, you know, a, a classic is The Innovator's Dilemma. Um, that book is old now. It's 25 years old, but it's the, the, the ideas laid out in there are especially for the last 25 years of technology, technological disruption in the next 25 years are, are fundamental and profound. And it's, it's so pervasive that people misuse it. Sometimes they use the terms disruption and sustaining. And yeah. um, so I would just highly encourage people to read that one. And if, if nothing more than a refresher of what all those things mean and how they can be, um, you know, how you can take advantage of them in the modern world. So that's definitely one. Um, in terms of leaders of companies, it's, I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I like to do my own thing. Um, I'm pretty, you know, like I said, I'm pretty stubborn and have my own opinion. So I get pieces from all different kinds of people, um, whether it's, you know, the, like Bob Myers is the general manager of the Golden State Warriors, right? I think he's brilliant in what he's done with that team. 
um, other, you know, kind of the peer company CEOs like uh, Stuart Butterfield from Slack or Eric Wong from Zoom or Aaron Levy from Box. Um, these guys were all kind of going through this at the same size and scale. Um, so I would say a mixture of different kind of leadership figures from different industries and then my peers as CEOs of, of high growth cloud companies. Yeah. People used to say Bill Gates, Howard Schultz, some of the old guys, but there's there's a whole new group of young Turks out there and you're among them. Has the money changed you for the better? What has it changed for you? So for me, I've always been motivated by challenge, like the, the ability to have an impact. And while Okta has been successful, I think the great thing about it has been that the potential for impact has gotten bigger and bigger because as a startup, you, it's really precarious and you're trying to survive. And, um, but now I feel like we, we have this platform, we have all these employees, we have all these customers, we have this, um, this brand. And I think that the opportunity to, to do what we're all trying to do, which is to build this iconic technology company that has a positive impact on every person in the world. Um, that's a challenge and that's motivating and, and that's what I'm fired up to do. And I think that's what the company's fired up to do as well. I was thinking more along the lines of philanthropy, to, to be honest. And I say that because we had spoken with Eric Yuan of Zoom. And one of the things that he had done was put together a foundation because as he looks forward, he knows, or at least he said he knows that there are so many opportunities to use the money for the good. And Warren Buffett has yeah. told me multiple times, the reason, Liz, that I'm giving all of my wealth to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is because I could salt it here and there with this charity or that charity, which is all very nice. But by giving it to them, they could possibly use it to eradicate malaria or something huge like that. I know everybody's different and you don't spend other people's money for them. But as you look forward, because you're rather young, how old are you right now? Uh, 48. Oh, you're young. You're a kid, darling. Uh, but you've got a lot of runway before you make those types of decisions. But what are you leaning toward? Well, I think um, my wife and I have done, we've done some significant things. We've donated to more, re, this is recently um, COVID-19 relief and mm -hmm. um, some of the issues around racial injustice. We've done that, but the, you, you are right. We have a lot of runway and we will be more aggressive in the years ahead. The one thing I'll say about Okta though, is that we've done a good job of stitching in the philanthropy into the company culture because employees not only want to work for a technology leader, they also want to work for a company that's um, recognizes the value in supporting the, the environment communities that the company thrives in. So Octa for Good is our philanthropic um, arm of the company. And uh, I'm really happy about the work they've done with various causes. And really, um, at the end of the day, it's money, but it's also connecting the employees with how they can help move important initiatives forward in their local communities, which is something I'm very proud of. Well, the Okta Army moving along to hopefully make a change for the better in this world. Thank you so much. We wish you guys the best of luck. We love these kinds of stories, Todd. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the, the, the walk down memory lane. It's, it's fun to think about and uh, share the stories. Folks, I hope that you have gleaned from Todd what I have, and that is don't stay in your lane. I know it's comfortable, but take that leap of faith. Take that running jump. Imagine that you're Tom Cruise in, I don't know, 
Mission Impossible 3, where he has to jump off the building and He's make it to the other side. A lot of jumping. Yeah, a lot of jumping, a lot of tap dancing, some tears. Yeah, but you got to make it through. It's worth it. And Todd McKinnon and Okta are a great example of that. And uh, once you make your money, or if you're hoping to get some and grow it, you got to watch Fox Business Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, the Claim and Countdown. You'll get to meet all types of people, including Todd. Thanks so much for joining us on Everyone Talks to Liz. Have a great day. We'll hear you and see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.